just so that you know, after the episode commentary, right at the very end of the podcast, the epilogue gets a little bit echoey because... Well, because Audacity decided to do 239 dropouts in the space of three minutes. So you haven't gone mad at the end if it suddenly gets a little bit echoier. It's still absolutely fine. Uh, it's just there's a, there's a sudden change uh, in the quality just as the episode ends. Sorry about that. OMG, it's HTAP on DMP. I hated all of that. It's happy times and places on the Daleks Master Plan. I, Toby Haydock, watch an episode and accentuate the positive. Hello. I am Ian McLachlan, and I was delighted when I found the Dalek Master Plan was still available to talk about. Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, this is very exciting for people who like symmetry and marking occasions and timey-wimey-ness because uh, I am recording this on the 8th of January 2022 and this episode I'm about to watch was first and only broadcast. It's only broadcast because it wasn't sold abroad either. So it's sole outing. Isn't that weird? About to watch something that was shown once all that effort that goes into it the scripting the rehearsal the building of the sets the casting of the actors all of that and then all the technical stuff that goes into broadcasting and out it goes on the 8th of january 1966 never to be seen again and i mean literally never to be seen again because uh, as I record this, it does not exist, and the chances, the likelihood is it will never exist again uh, in the form that it was broadcast, um, well, 56 years ago, to, no, 50, uh, 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 60, yeah, 56 years ago, 56 years ago today. So, I mean, other than that, it's just like watching any old episode of Doctor Who, but I like Especially as, you know, you're, that's not when you'll be listening to it. I've no idea when you'll be listening to this, but whenever you are, hello. Um, and uh, I'm going to press play in three, two, one. And that could mean anything. Oh, no, here we go. Started with the title sequence. So it's beautiful seeing these uh, moving pictures as things are going to get a bit more static. But I've been very impressed with the... Uh, with how uh, Loose Cannon have done the reconstruction. So uh, if you've never tried th these things, uh, do avail yourself of them uh, because um, the guys behind them are very clever and very hardworking, have done a lovely job. And of course, they now um, are, are in charge of, of the telesnap reconstructions on uh, the official BBC range because they're very good at this sort of thing. They have no telesnaps for the Dalek Master Plan. That's the curious thing, isn't it? That John Wiles, when he takes over, I mean, even when Verity Lambert is still nominally in charge, nominally in true sense of the word, um, uh, a Galaxy 4, um, the first thing that happens is, uh, you're going to save five quid a week by not having telesnaps. Who's, who cares about their, them? Um, and of course we didn't because we didn't know telesnaps existed until um, uh, what a few turned up there was, a, there was a couple from the Daleks that were printed in Doctor Who magazine um, 
and then that was sent in by Dickie Howitt, uh, and I think that was, I think that was a ruse. That um, uh, anyway, let's not get into that now. Um, uh, and and then there were some in Doctor Who the early years that Christopher Barry had from the from Power of the Daleks, and it was like what are, what are these? Oh, and Doctor Who magazine had some from Hugh David from the Highlanders. Um, it was like, what, why do these exist? And they didn't really go into details as to why they did. And then DWB, I think, got got some from Michael Elwin for no, no, they didn't. DWB got some from Michael Wolf from the Moonbase. Um, uh, so you know, various and and then actually a whole stash of them were discovered by Marcus Hearn in the BBC um, written archive. Um, and then the story was revealed of John Cura, who was the guy. That whose job it was to take off-screen photos it wasn't his job. He's self-employed. His business was to take off-screen photos and offer them to the talent on screen as a as a record. Seems a curious thing now, and they were quite expensive. Um, seems a curious thing now when actually preservation was not the order of the day to the extent that they chunked the episodes. But I suppose maybe that made them more. Uh, but you couldn't more valuable. But you couldn't home videotape or anything like that. So so actors would and producers. Would, would would have them as a sort of record of their work rather than being able to have the actual thing because storing film and videotape domestically was, you know, unheard of. Um, but uh, then it was revealed that there are none from the Wiles era. And when Innes Lloyd takes over, he, 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 he reinstates them. But uh, sadly, the Wiles era is also one um, for which... Uh, we have no pictures either. Um, although actually, I don't think they've turned up many telesnaps from seasons one and two. Although ironically, we do have the ones from not ironically, but happily, Waris Hussain uh, did get the ones from Marco Polo. Um, so the one story that's missing for season one, uh, we have the telesnaps of, apart from the episode he didn't direct, and of course, apart from the two episodes of the Reign of Terror uh, cause, uh, that are, that are missing. But anyway, uh, that's a that's a bit of a. Uh, off off piste because the Daleks master plan uh, is is continuing with the escape of the Doctor Stephen and Sarah but has taken us to Egypt now Egypt is a great setting uh, because I mean this is all this all reminds me of my childhood when you know much of the fun to be had as a kid was to 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 read books of mystery stories or whatever uh, and and the story the f most frightening sort of true story that there was was the tale of the tomb of Tutankhamun uh, and Lord Carnarvon and the curse that just seems so real as as it transpires it's actually uh, uh, not as spooky a story as as it as it was parlayed at the time uh, but, but I'm sure my mum told it me and I think we, we, we were told it at school about, you know, how, um, you know, they, they desecrated the, the tomb of this ancient uh, pharaoh and everyone involved died. And then I remember reading, uh, uh, in, a, in a, I had a book of myths and horror, the Piccolo book of myths and horror, was it? And uh, saying, but actually uh, Howard Carter, who led the expedition didn't die didn't die and lived perfectly happily for ages um and that was the first inkling that oh okay uh, everyone died apart from her and then it turns out that actually it wasn't quite as uh, spooky and mysterious as uh, as 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 it had been sold to us we impressionables but um i remember reading about it and i remember the real feeling of genuine 
terror and dread that I lived in a world where there was such a thing as, as you know, an Egyptian curse that actually happened. And of course, that plays into all sorts of other things of, you know, it was abroad and in the olden days and, you know, a place of mystery, which, and, and so that, that sort of, you know, plausible fear of the unknown can, can only exist in a world where, uh, um, you know, you, 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 you don't have the sort of communication and access to pictures and people and contact um, that, that were not possible, um, you know, a hundred years or so ago. So, um, you know, our fear of the unknown, uh, which is never a good, which is never a good thing as the Daleks show. That's what they are. They are afraid of what is different. Um, but it is an innate trait that we have to battle against uh, because what we do not know makes us conjure, you know, fears if we are, so uh so inclined to do um so um you know so that so this egyptian setting is 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 great for that because like invisible planet of the invisible people like volcanoes this seems to be cut from that same cloth of things that young kids would read about although i came a decade later um uh, that were you know exciting and from the real world um uh, well no invisible people aren't there for, but 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 the, vol the volcano you know uh, was a bit like krakatoa egypt it's a bit like you tutankhamun uh and uh, and what we can see of the sets in the next episode is that the, you know barry newbury who was good at historical stuff does a very nice job um uh and uh you know it brings with it promises of you know ancient mummies etc which we get for the cliffhanger what we don't get other than that and i suppose doctor who could not then have a story about um you know it's interesting that they don't bother going with that there's no actual mummy i'm not going to spoil the cliffhanger well i will spoil the cliffhanger for you there's a mummy that, that isn't a mummy so it plays with that but actually that's not what we get what instead we get is uh uh you know, the Daleks uh, coming and killing a few people, which isn't great for the Egyptian characters that we meet, who are... Now, I've just done a little bit of research, not because I was doing this. I just disappeared down a, a rabbit hole uh, last night because I was, I was... I occasionally chat late night to uh, Ben Jolly, who's a great tracker down of actors. Um, and I'd been thinking about... Uh, Oh, that's why I'd been looking. I'd been, I'd been, I'd been thinking about the the actors from the Christmas special, who we didn't know anything about. And then I remembered that actually Jeffrey Isaac, who is uh, in this, who plays the 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 main Egyptian character Kepren, uh, is is an actor that we don't know anything about. So I decided to do a little bit of of digging, and I think I might, if a few little bits of details go where my instinct tells me, but they might end up actually being a completely dead end i think i might have found out who he might have been um uh, uh, uh an actor called jeffrey isaac something something and the something something are uh are, are, are more uh, egyptian names so he's from egyptian heritage um who died in the, in the late 90s so if, if i say when i say i found him i've i found out what who he might have been and the fact that he is dead but he does have surviving children so uh, if I get enough hours in the day I might um, see if I can find an address for them and write to them and then see if they go I'll bother to reply to this really strange inquiry as to whether my 
dad was in Doctor Who. Although I wrote to somebody the other day who might have been uh, the missing schoolgirl in uh, An Unearthly Child, and she very kindly emailed me and said, no, it's it's not me, but good luck. So I think I know who that is now, and I know who her brother is, and so then it's a case of, ah, anyway. But um, those are the things I do when I'm not doing this, and then I've got to find some time to earn a living. Ha, 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 ha. So anyway, yes, Jeffrey Isaac is one of is one of the, the the few Doctor Who actors really of whom we know sort of nothing, um, uh, and he he has a few credits in the sixties, but that's about it. But um, uh, but it's always a clue if somebody's called two Christian names. So um, the actor Austin Trevor, uh, who's in Quatermass Two, is quite a well-known uh, film and theatre actor, was actually called Austin Trevor Shilsky. Um, so there are a lot of Actors, where if, if, if the first name and surname are both Christian names, it's quite often a clue to the fact that they've lopped off a, f- a foreign sounding um, surname because that might limit the sort of casting they would get. If you have a, a surname with a, a, a sort of foreign hue, people might go, oh, well, we won't cast them as, 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 as uh, you know, English characters, which again, of course, hugely limits your casting, especially as plenty of English actors would play foreign parts very badly and in fact it's interesting this isn't it that you've got the egyptians are jeffrey isaac who as i say i think was was perhaps from had heritage in that part of the world if he's the person that i think he might be uh walter randall who was south african but uh but was often cast he plays um hyksos the guard captain in this but he was also el akir in the crusade and he's tonila in the aztec so he was he, he obviously was was deemed to look uh you know like he was from 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 that part of the world which is kind of enough uh 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 and but then the other one is Derek Ware who was from wherever Derek was from some middle middlesex uh and you know wasn't remotely olive skinned and was sort of short and bald uh, uh and a, a, a stuntman um although he had trained as an actor at rada but he was, you know, he was a stuntman, but 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 was not remotely sort of, as I say, um, swarthy or so. Uh, in, it's a, it's quite an interesting mix. But anyway, yeah, a lot of actors. So there's another actor we can't track down called Gerald Curtis, who is uh, in plays Elian in the Daleks, um, and I, I know he was South African um, because of something I found. But again, the chances are he was probably called Gerald Curtis something. Um, because the way we track down a lot of these people is through travel documentation and stuff like that. But if we don't have their surname, uh, that's really hard. So anyway, so that's why I think Jeffrey Isaac is called Jeffrey Isaac something else. Um, it's And I'm sorry to sort of um, bother you with the sort of things that uh, take up my time. But it's it's very hard to get an angle on on this episode because I'm, I'm you know, watching a, a photo reconstruction. Um Um, so Stephen and Sarah have been captured, captured by the Egyptians. That's and that's Derek Wears Tutmos. Um, he was a good actor, Derek, but he ended up uh, ended up as a stuntman, and of course founded Havoc, uh, and uh, you know was a great contributor to Doc Two. He might have been the first Doc Two person I ever met because. My brother was uh, in a production of Richard III at Ludlow Castle and Derek was, uh, he acted in it. It was Catesby, I think, but he was also the fighter ranger. Um, I don't know, did I meet him then? Um, and then then I 
did the Ludlow Festival, then Derek was still the fighter ranger. But he always he always was a bit sore, Derek. Um, and I don't know if that was because he was mistreated by the business or whether that was his is actually just his outlook because um, it is an unfair business. Um, but I remember mentioning to Julian Glover during things, saying, oh, and De- I think Derek was a bit upset by the way this turned out. And Julian Glover went, Derek uh, was always upset by something. And it's funny when you sort of know somebody, and I have lots of sympathy with Derek, and then and you get somebody else's perspective and you go, well, they might actually have a point that, that what, whatever had happened, Derek would have felt sort of badly treated. I think he felt, you know, that the business, um, uh, you know, Havoc was treated unfairly because it was a stunt team that had their lice that were but he was then told he couldn't have a, the union sort of interfered and said that you, you, you couldn't have a stunt union and blah, de, blah, de, blah, blah. Um, but anyway, um, I'm, I'm very, I, I have lots of happy memories of, of Derek. I just wish he'd perhaps been a bit, bit happier. Um, this is a nice uh, contrast, isn't it? The, the, the monk, and, and, and there's been various pictures here of the monk wandering around in sunglasses, which I adore. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, I remember uh, as, as a kid in, in the 80s sort of, you know, imagining what, what I would do if I was in charge of Doctor Who and I, I like the idea of bringing the monk back he does appear in a Doctor Who magazine comic strip with the Ice Warriors and I think they kill him off in that um, but I, I, I like the monk because he's, you know, he's a bit pesky uh, and he's, he's mischievous rather than truly evil and I like that dynamic and I like the the fun you could have with the idea of him you know putting putting money in a bank account and traveling forward and and uh, collecting the interest even as a kid I thought that was a because I just got a bank account and the idea of interest was very exciting but the idea that you could travel forward hundreds of years in time and claim claim it is <laughs> it's a lovely idea and I and uh, I, I love that the idea of him yeah arriving in Egypt ancient Egypt and putting on sunglasses because of course you would if you were from now that's the first thing you'd do but it's a beautifully Doctor Who thing of the contrast of sort of a bit like what uh, Ian talked about a couple of episodes ago about the contrast of the the ordinary and the everyday uh, with with the you know the 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 exciting and that that the the, the clash the incongruity is is Doctor Who it's Yeti on the loo in Tooting Beck isn't it it's it's a ramshackle police box on a gleaming spaceship or on a stunning vista, um, which is which 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 to me is the essence of Doctor Who it's the fact that you know it's born of a ramshackle country. <laughs> Uh, with sometimes a very ramshackle attitude towards things um, and is a programme that is sort of jerry-built. You know, it was made in the way that television was made uh, by people with a lot of pluck and not necessarily all the best equipment. Uh, And yet they still aim for the stars, you know, and I love that. I love that contrast. I love what that represents. Uh, and I'm, I'm aware it's possibly quite a stretch getting from a man in sunglasses, a picture of a man in sunglasses uh, in front of a, 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 you know, an Egyptian backdrop, an ancient Egyptian backdrop. But uh, don't care. I'm taking it. That's where I'm going with it. Um, uh, so, yeah. So in the 80s, I imagined the monk backer because i'm surprised well am i surprised they never brought him back i don't i I don't think the show's lost anything by not having him back but um i remember now i might be taking credit for something here i might be forest gumping myself or zelliging myself but i'm sure lisa bauman from big finish sent me a text saying do you know the number of this comedian um and and i won't say who it is because 
well for reasons that will become apparent because saying because um you know we we want to do we want to have the meddling monk in doctor who uh, oh this is a brilliant scene of changing uh changing the monk's tardis into different things again that's the thing i read about as a kid and thought oh that would have been that's a funny idea just the idea because the tardis can change shape having fun with changing it into different things it's a very it's a very simple uh, conceit but it's it's rather funny um, <laughs> uh, uh, and that's uh, and the doctor emerges holding a unit from the monk's tardis yeah so okay um and he changes the monk's tardis into a into a police box is that right is that what's happened there oh okay i'd forgotten i'd forgotten about that um and um and anyway, and I'm sure, and I said, "Oh, what about Rufus Hound?" And then the next I knew, Rufus Hound was playing the monk for for Big Finish. Um, so I like to think that was my idea, but I might have misremembered that, and I haven't done any research. Um, uh, but I I like to think I suggested that, and I think it's a really good piece of casting. Um, they also had Graham Garden, didn't they, as the monk for Big Finish, which I think is a brilliant piece of casting. Um, and he's he's a character that allows for a sort of uh, a, a cheeky, likable, dry uh, comedy actor. Uh, and I think think both Rufus Hound and and Graham Gardner are very much that. Uh, but I, when I was thinking of it in the eighties, um, I thought David Jason. And this was before Only Fools and Horses was the huge show that it became. I think it was on though. But David Jason was was a sort of well known enough face and i remember being extremely impressed when i discovered um that he was the guy playing the old man in porridge go wow that's real acting um uh of a sort that yeah uh, um i was gonna say of a sort that you don't get these days um um uh and i, I still maintain that david jason would be if you wanted to bring the monk back on tv now i think you could have a lot of fun with david jason uh being a sort of pesky the pesky monk i think william hartnell looks gorgeous in that in that hat i think he really suits a hat i like a broad brimmed hat but i never feel my face is quite the right shape for the sort of hat i'd like to wear uh i'd like to be carry off an awful lot of things that i try to carry off and don't oh dear uh i don't think i'm i don't think i'm tall enough for a long flowing coat or i don't think i'm the right shape for a hat uh i don't think i'm the right shape for much but there we go one can try uh so yes the monk's tardis is changed as a police box i'd forgotten about that but it, it it's Hart, hartnell has great fun trouncing uh trouncing the mic and it is a sort of uh, it's a battle of wits isn't it that's exactly what it is in in both senses of the word they are witty men who uh exist you know who who, who function on their wits um uh, and it's and it's a nice little playful game of of cat and mouse, which as a as a contrast to the you know the delicious deadliness of the Daleks and the the uh, the suave calculating uh, beginning to be um, slightly wayward lunacy of Marvik Jen, uh, all seem a little bit more dangerous than than what's going on here. That is nevertheless you know watchable and, and fun and enjoyable and it and you can tell that this is this is the sort of stuff that 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 keeps the doctor adventuring in a way these uh these these sorts of encounters which 
you know a lot of the humor that they play with it is 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 sort of bluster in in order to keep one step ahead of your enemy and and you know they know deep down the consequences of their battle can be quite deadly and awful but uh uh you know it's it's doctor who so it has to it has to have a bit of a twinkle and uh and i think the twi- the twinkle is nicely done and i like i like and i like that scene earlier when you know when the monk encounters marvik chen and the daleks and you know, Marvik Chen realizes that he's a time traveler, and and the monk sort of goes, you know, very quickly, sort of has to think and readjust and go, yeah, yeah, and I can, yeah, I could probably help you here, and and you know, he's surviving on his wits, and you, you know, um, he, you know that he'll sort of ally himself with wh- whoever won't kill him. <laughs> um, Marvik Chen, interestingly, in the scripts is is spelt with a K on the end, uh, even even in the 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 camera script. So it's obviously quite a late change that they. Uh, they they decided to, to to Marvik with a C. It's a C K, uh, and they just dropped the K. And I think it looks better. It looks aesthetically better uh, on screen as Marvik Chen without the K. Um, oh yes, <laughs> and of course that leads us into um, you know the cheat of a the cheat of a cliffhanger, which is a scary moment that that next week will actually turn out to be a comic moment, which which is quite cheerful and quite joyful. Um, I think it could do more. Well, so it's interesting what comedy I will accept in in Doctor Who and what I what I won't. I, as I say, I find a lot of the comedy in the Feast of Stephen not not too hot. Um, but I suppose the monk is such a fun character played by such a good actor, and and just the idea and and the fact that that they take with him the central premise of the show, which is of traveling through time and space. But instead of doing what the Doctor does with it, you know, he does something pesky with it, um, and and that 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 is that that yeah, it's a cheeky subversion. A cheeky is the word, isn't it? It's a cheeky subversion of of what the show does. Oh, and hey, we've got moving pictures because we're we're about to get to the the cliffhanger. Um, uh, and you know, this this takes us into what the sort of story promises a reader of Boy's Own Adventures is. You know, uh, ancient mummy curses and the mummy being a corpse in bandages. You know, it's a fantastic image, isn't it? And and very much you know part of universal horror film tradition so which of course what the chase plays with rather wonderfully with uh, with dracula and frankenstein you know those were the big staples of the horror film movement and and here's another one of them the mummy i mean that that's cracking uh because we don't know uh what the reveal is going to be and he's the meddling monk so there we are, Jeffrey Isaac, who, I, as I say, I think there's two Christian names. Derek, oh, dear Derek Ware. I never had the pleasure with Walter Randall. He opened a restaurant with John Pertwee, Walter Randall. and uh, But he's somebody who gets to play quite good parts in the 60s. And as as time goes on, he gets smaller and smaller roles. All of them largely for his first role in Doctor Who, isn't it? It's for John Crockett. But other than that, he's, uh, he's a Douglas Camfield guy. And Camfield, very interestingly, he doesn't always go for sort of theatrical... Actors. actors he often goes for untrained i think, uh, I, th- I think randall was think, a dancer uh, randall but, was a dancer but, wasn't he but 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 doesn't necessarily get your sort of classical thesps um uh and uh randall randall was south african i think um but um and he's brilliant as ella Keir in the crusade uh not much of a part in this really um and then in invasion he's a guard in one episode um 
in, in, in Inferno. He gets turned green before the first episode is out. And then Barry Letts casts him in, in Planet of the Spiders. But anyway, um, I wonder if that was, though, was because he was mates with, with Pertwee and it was, uh, you know, Pertwee's valedictory flourish. Um, he also suffers the ignominy, Walter Randall, of being dumped in Planet of the Spiders. But I'll talk about that when I do that uh, story, which is actually on my radar fairly soon. But uh, I sometimes, and I've got a very special famous TV guest uh, doing that, but I, uh, I sometimes muck around with the order, depending on the mood that I'm in. But the mood I'm in now is to tell you my favourite thing about... Golden Death, uh, and I suppose, well, it's got to be one of two things. It's well, I like the three things. I like the scene where the Doctor changes the Monk Stardis into lots of different things. I don't know why. That's just a lovely wheeze. It's the sort of thing that I think, as a kid, you would really enjoy. And as I say, I enjoyed reading about it. So I think it happening, especially as you know, it's not talked about that often. Why the Tardis is a police box? Because the you know, it wasn't known then that the chameleon circuit is stuck and the idea that it should change shape. That, you know, I think that's a that's a wild thing for a kid, especially at this point in the show's history where, you know, it's sort of not talked about, um, although it is, you know, effective in, in the sort of baseline DNA of, of the show that the TARDIS can change shape. That's why it's a police box, but this one can't. But then to go, ah, yeah, but wouldn't we have fun if we did? So I might have talked to myself, and I think that's the sort of thing that Ian might like. So I might have talked myself into that because I was going to say I like the Egyptian I like the Egyptian setting just because it brings with it the double whammy of the, the curse of Tutankhamun, which was a genuinely scary thing from my youth. And also it's it's the completion of the the universal horror triumvirate of Dracula, Frankenstein and the mummy. Um, oh and then there's the Wolfman that stops it being a triumvirate. Uh, and there's no anyway, it doesn't matter. The, the Mummy was, you know, one of the icons of horror cinema and those universal horrors were again, you know, um, you know the, 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 the go-to texts for being terrified when, when you were a young man like me and if they weren't on the telly, there were cinema books that you could look up and see those pictures and those films looked so scary and I know they look shonky now, but I don't care. They have an atmosphere and a conviction and they were the template upon which a lot of our folk, uh, you know, cinematic folklore, if you like, uh, is built and, 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 and horror, which I, I think is so hard to do now in these boring, cynical times in which we live, where we, we dismiss anything that's sort of out of this world, whereas actually the unknowable um, uh, and being gripped by that was such a, such a sort of t a genuine, palpable terror thing. And uh, I suppose I should be pleased I'm not, I'm not genuinely scared of the dark uh, much anymore, but my God, what a, what a, what a great effect for entertainment to have. Uh, and the other was the monk walking about in his sunglasses, which I gave you an essay on during the episode. I've talked myself into it being the scene in which the monk's TARDIS changes shape uh, uh, as a result of the doctor's meddling just for all the reasons I said. And I, and, and by the way, shall we mark that last week uh, I actually got a point because I chose the cricket. I, di I didn't actually celebrate it uh, in the last episode that I actually for once uh, chose the same thing as Ian McLachlan. Let's see if I can make it two in a row. What's Ian going to choose? Now, Golden Death. The scene that's etched on my mind from that 
is when the doctor went into the monk's TARDIS and changed it. He changed it yes. into a motorbike and a coach wagon yes. and a carriage. And he ended up with it turning it into a police box, the TARDIS. And like the doctor's TARDIS, the monks had the communal circuit, which worked. And I remember vividly uh, that scene. Perhaps um, it's one of the scenes I remember most from Dalek Master Plan. That was simply an amusing scene. Um, it showed the Doctor's playful nature um, and sort of reminded you a wee bit about the pictures he put on the screen uh, in the Space Museum. He was playing with the monk in that sense. And that scene is uh, memorable. Uh, yes, and the, 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 the Space Museum, of course, has Hartnell dressed in a bathing suit, which we don't talk about often enough. It's interesting, a lot of Ian's things, because the thing he liked last week, he said, reminded him a bit of when that happened in the Faceless Ones. And it's interesting, as a young fan, or the, even though you know he's an older man now, the things that he really liked were the things that also gave him an additional memory of another episode. And I remember, you know, when I was a kid, you'd love the stories that had references to old Doctor Who in, because it was a link to another episode. Because, of course, Ian and I are both from a time when if you wanted to watch an episode of Doctor Who on call, you, you couldn't. You couldn't just call one up and watch it. So actually, if the episode you're watching now gave you an, a link to another episode, or if you thought about an episode that linked to another episode, you sort of got two memories for the, for the price of one. And that, when you can't call up episodes on demand, is, is, is quite an important part of the enjoyment as a fan and that's interesting that Ian had that as a kid and obviously still has it it's still part of the things that he likes about something because it reminds him of another episode I certainly I think still have that um, but that's something that perhaps a, a, a modern fan it might not be such a strong scene running through their enjoyment of the show because they're not having to you know conjure much up from memory because everything is so accessible so they will have their own other things that that, that draw them and uh, and make their, their their different connections exciting and i think that's that's just worth worth noting because i think that's interesting about how important it is and actually the thing that ian and i have that desire to link it link to something from the past is of course what doctor who then started very consciously doing when i was a a, a young fan and ultimately could be said to have led to its destruction because it got, it, it, it realised that fans liked that a little bit too much. And then, you know, the show began to eat itself or get too self-reverential. So in a way, the, the, the way that Ian and I uh, enjoy Doctor Who will lead to its ultimate destruction. So don't do that, <laughs> young fans. <laughs> um, good, two in a row. I, do you know what, coming into this, I'd, even, I'd actually forgotten about that scene. So there was no way I was going to choose it. I didn't know what I was going to choose. I tried not to choose in advance. I think that's that's cheating. I tried for this to be quite reactive. The other podcasts I do are the ones where I've thought about it and done a bit of research. So, you know, you've got to forgive me for this being spontaneous because otherwise I'd never get anything done. I still don't get anything done. Still got washing up to do. Uh, I've still got my laundry to put away. But I have enjoyed a golden death 56 years to the day uh, that it was broadcast for the only time. I find that so poignant. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that the master plan has taken a bit of a dip um, from, from what it was, but it still shows that there's plenty, even within a, it's not quite middle installment, but certainly a, 
you know, not a key instalment of this long three month text that is the Dalek Master Plan. Still, if that episode turns up, what a privilege it will be to see it. Uh, what a tragedy is, of course, you know, um, relatively, of course, time, everything is relative. But what a tragedy it is that we, we can't, considering all that work, I, that's how I started this podcast, all the work that went into that, um, to the extent, as I say, oh, even though this wasn't telesnapped, there was somebody whose job it was to get little snatches uh, of, of stuff because people might want a little memento of that job that they've done. And you do it when you're in theatre and all that sort of thing. You, you, you want more than when you work in an office. When, you, when you're in a creative endeavour, you want a sort of uh, a, a memory, a memento, uh, an example of, if not the thing itself, something from it, uh, which makes it seem even sadder that the actual thing itself, the actual, it was seen like theatre, wasn't it? You don't, you don't capture a theatre performance, but that's partially because you never can, because film theatre performance is never the same as watching it in the theatre. But this, this existed as a televisual production, shown once, all that hard work, then uh, up in flames. But who knows, it might be in a cupboard or a Bond store somewhere. Uh, and if it comes back, I will very much uh, be uh, at the front of the queue to to see it in all its golden glory um, but uh, until then we all we can do is imagine what it was like um, and uh, I hope uh, you've enjoyed uh, that trip to Egypt with me next time we watch the Daleks master plan the pictures will be moving from start to finish and then we've got the final two episodes uh, which I know are absolutely terrific so I was daunted doing this story because it's a long one and a lot of it is telesnap reconstructions. But thanks to Luce Cannon, uh, who've done a very, very good job with it, uh, we're, we're, we're three quarters of the way through. Uh, so um, uh, do join me next time and hopefully I'll have a slightly easier job. And thanks for your perseverance. And uh, from the 8th of January 2022 and indeed the 8th of January 1966, whenever you're listening to this, Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Ian K. McLachlan. I would like to thank the patrons without whom these podcasts would not be possible, and they include Ruben Herfindahl, Peter Burns, Peter Harness, Rob Leonard, Stephen Moffat, Richard Straw, Nick Tedston, David... Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Carrington, Paul Cook, Richard Chalk, Peter Crocker, Bob Dawson, John Deere, Chris Dunford-Kelk, Jason Gorman, Siobhan Galichon, Ian Key, Joe Llewellyn, Darren Mackay, Barry Platt, Stephen Bamford, Reese Williams, Jason Wilson-Mills, Matt Corner, Martin Cook, Kevin Parker, Kevin Ashelford, Thomas Gerrier, Mark Clues, Chris Murphy and David Green. The music for these podcasts is by Dave Gates and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. And if you would like to join their number, as Stavros would say, but he was talking about the dead. I'm talking about the patrons. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where if you pay from as little as £3 a month, you get access to most of the goodies that are on offer for patrons, which include um, exclusive access, uh, early releases, 
uh, special little bits and bobs. There are a couple of other carrots dangled as you ascend further up the financial ladder, but it's mostly all there from £3 a month. And you can even lower that if you sign up for a year because you get 10% uh, off, uh, off your final tally. So that's at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. If you don't want to commit to the monthly thing, that's completely understandable, but you can do a one-off payment at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke if you, you know, if you find an episode you particularly like, or if you're feeling particularly flush, or if I sound particularly hungry or sad, uh, that's at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. But look, um, I know that times are tough, and I am just very, very grateful that you listen to these things. However, what costs you nothing is if you go to iTunes and give these five stars. Yes, five stars, please. That's what really separates us from the crowd. Five stars and a couple of positive lines of review to draw passers-by uh, to, uh, to avail themselves of what is here at Toby Haydoke's Time Travels. You're never going to believe this. I'm actually a professional stand-up comedian and I have emceed every Tuesday night for the past 24 years XS Malarkey Comedy Club in Manchester. It's still there, 8pm at uh, the Breadshed in Manchester and that's, uh, you know, it's a fantastic night out. It's me emceeing at least four comedians from the national comedy circuit here in the UK and we've had plenty of fantastic big names at the start of their career and they come back and visit us when they're famous. Joe Lysett was there only the other day but also we've got the great comedians of the future that you've not heard of yet uh, and we run it on a non-profit making basis so it's a very affordable and enjoyable night out and look if you're not in Manchester you can come to twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey on the first Sunday of every month and we have our online version of the show with comics well from around the world. Um, oh, I've forgotten I'm supposed to say something interesting at this point. Uh, um, uh, hi, um, I, I live with an MBE. There we go. That's what's happened in Adoke Towers uh, since I last recorded a load of these. Um, my other half got an MBE, and I yes, I did, I didn't. A couple of friends of mine have actually sent me letters to Sir Toby Haydoke just so that the postman treats us both with a certain amount of reverence now that uh, one of us has letters after our name. Um, but um, and, until there are until there are New Year's honours for services to character actor Arcana, I suspect I shall have to remain an undecorated civilian. But um, don't tell her this; that I'm very proud of her. Though. Um, anyway, yeah. There we go. Not uh, not the most amusing of coders, but I, let's face it, these aren't often the most amusing of anything anywhere ever. So, but there we go. Uh, yeah. Bye. <laughs>